You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Thursday, March the 4th. The Batman arrived. Join Carl and Amy each week as they break it down 20 minutes at a time. And welcome to the very first episode of the Bat and the Cat podcast, a weekly podcast breaking down Matt Reeves' The Batman 20 minutes at a time. I am one of your hosts, Carl, and I am joined by, of course, the cat to my bat. We've got Amy. Hey, Carl. I'm so excited to be doing our own podcast. I, I never thought this would happen after we did, you know, just one off episode on The Batman. And now we get to talk about it for at least eight more episodes. Oh, if not more. Yeah, there's so many wonderful things just now opening up in the in the Matt Reeves-averse about the Batman. I'm <laughs> so excited. But I'm just so genuinely pumped to break down this movie in this capacity. Um, you and I both have such a deep love for the Batman. And because it's such a long movie and it's just so rich with so much in it, we thought it'd be fun to just approach this like, hey, Let's approach it each week like there's a, a Batman the sitcom, you know, <laughs> looking at 20 minutes of the movie at a time, having a fun, in-depth conversation around it. Um, and uh, of course, super excited to be doing this over on the Thunderquack podcast network. Um, Mike Cohen is a good pal of mine, uh, have, have loved doing things with him in the podcasting world over the years um, and super excited to be doing this uh, on their podcast network and, and getting to be a voice there. And, and hoping to, to garner some really awesome Batman fans to, to join the conversation with us. Yeah, actually, I have one friend who um, he's a super avid Batman fan, but he has not had the time to sit down and watch this movie in full with how long it is. So I was joking with him. I'm like, you know, you could just watch 20 minutes, listen to an episode, watch 20 minutes, listen to an episode. <laughs> but I don't think it's gonna be possible. I think he's gonna have to sit and watch the whole thing because, you know, you can't stop once you start. Yeah, well, as of as of us recording this today, um, I have now seen the Batman between theater and home viewings thirty two times. So that's, that's <laughs> well, who's like counting? several days of my life, <laughs> <laughs> and I am so pleased with those decisions. Um, but Amy, let's just get right to it. This the opening of this movie is is just unbelievable. Um, starting with this title card you know i love how this movie just like all the marketing you know that 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 deep red with the black setting these colors are they're just so sinister but also beautiful <laughs> i, I yeah. love them um and of course the movie opens with uh schubert's ave maria uh as as a a person who grew up in the catholic tradition i i know this song very well and a really interesting way to start the story and um you know we get the movie opens with this pov shot of somebody creepily spying on a boy in a red costume dancing around and amy i'm sure you know you are well aware that when they were making this movie they did matt reeves was very adamant i'm not you know i'm not telling the origin story again we've seen it plenty of times uh -huh. and i don't want to revisit it but i remember when i saw this movie the first time i'm like wait, are they just giving us like a quick like prologue where we're going to get the story that they said we weren't going to get? Because, right, it's a, it's a little boy and he almost looks like Zorro, which, of course, the mask uh -huh. of Zorro and, and the Batman lexicon is where the play they were at when his parents are then gunned down in Crime Alley. Uh, what did you think of this, this just kind of opening shot of this young boy dancing around in a window being spied upon? Yeah, you know, it gave me some some mixed feelings because it opens up and it has this very playful music. And, you know, you see 
kids getting ready for a trick-or-treat. You see a kid playing with his father in a window. There's baby giggles in the background. But you also hear this heavy sound of breathing, which is super creepy. Um, and it's somebody watching. And, you know, what somebody who's watched a lot of things with the Batman, he's known for being somebody who watches over the city. He watches and sees what happens. So at first I was like, is, is this the Batman? Is he just breathing like Darth Vader or something? It's very weird. <laughs> um, but then I see the child and father at play and I'm like, oh, is that young Bruce and his father? And then we're going to fast forward. Um, but then they brought it all together. Uh, and, and, you know, they're, they're in this gothic mansion slash condo looking thing, too. So it just it just made me have that same feeling, too. But then just the creepy breathing made me think, nah, something bad's about to come come down over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and and i love that it's it's such a simple shot where you know the boy is playfully pretending to you know to to attack the father and the father rises up i love the way the guy acts it out he almost rises like a zombie the boy runs in mm -hmm. hugs him just in a matter of you know five seconds it's enough visual storytelling to let you know that this boy loves his father um and I think it's a very smart way where Matt Reeves kind of, in a way, subverts the expectation of like, this isn't Bruce's story, but hey, this is going to be similar, right? It's going to it's going to confront yeah. him with his deepest fear. Um, well, because it's uh, that, that childhood innocence, you know, it's like yeah. this kid, he, he the mother's there looking happy, ready to take their kid up for trick or treating. You have a father there playing, playing with a child. Just everybody looks happy. And, you know, you, it's just a happy story coming along in this gothic village with again very creepy breathing yeah well and, and as he's is is riddler is is observing the scene too um you also get you get a couple of nuns walking by in the uh, down on the street right so there is this sense of like there's there is something like good and holy and sacred and safe here and yeah. this boy is i mean he's in a mansion he's in a, almost like this castle like setting and where everything is safe and sound but you do also hear sirens in the background as the scene kind of progresses almost as like a reminder but oh wait this is gotham city nothing's fully safe right um and there's even a police officer sitting outside the mansion that we see in the foreground um, so, you know, they are they are being kept safe, but they're still in Gotham. You know, the trouble is never that far from you. No, I think that's one of my favorite parts about Gotham, too, is, you know, it has it. And I like the way that the, these scenes are set up because it has that whole when I think something gothic, it, it's the scenes in this movie, just the buildings, the structures, the the colors and lack thereof of colors and the music itself, mm. too, and all the sounds. It's just everything about it is just so gothic yeah yeah which which to me elicits a, a bit of a tim burton feel like the way he he creates gotham for the 89 batman batman returns you know there he, he very much leans into that gothic feel for um for gotham as opposed to the 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 nolan trilogy which you know gotham each movie seems to be more and more like new york city or chicago right it, it's it's a much yeah. more american city than what like Tim Burton gave us or what Matt Reeves is Matt Reeves kind of gives us a, a blending of, of all of those things. Um, and that's something that I think will come up a lot as we, as we do this series, Amy is, is how much the Batman stands on the shoulders of all the, all the other movies and stories that have come before, which I think is what makes it so great as well. Um, yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's genius the way they use the darkness and color too, because it makes me get that comic book feel too. Um, or like the film noir where there's sometimes just a little splash of color that goes into the background and it makes the color stand out. And um, a lot of the times it's red, but you know, in, in the, in the opening scene, as we tran um, as we have some transitions through it, there's, there's colors from the city too, which show you there is some light there in the darkness. Yeah. Good point. Um, well, night then falls upon the scene. And we get to go up into Mayor Mitchell's, uh, you know, kind of his, his, the loft of the, the, the fancy mansion he lives in. And I think what I, something that is established right here in the beginning of the movie and that, and it will become a running, running thing throughout the story is whenever the news is on, the news kind of provides exposition for the story. It kind of just sets up the world, what's going on in the world. And that's really what's going on here is he's watching this debate he, that he's having with Bella Rael from the previous night. Um, what's being established is the state of Gotham. What's going on in Gotham right now? And, and I do think that this debate is 
is loosely mirroring kind of what's going on in our own country, what's going on in America. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, Matt Reeves wanted to tell a story that was important for our times. And I think what Mayor Mitchell represents is he kind of represents this more conservatism of of trying to just maintain the status quo, whereas Bella Real is kind of this more uh, grassroots uh, kind of progressive voice that's really trying to shake things up, really trying to create some real change. Right. And it, we'll see her campaign posters throughout the city later in the movie of, you know, real change. Um, and uh, so it, it kind of established that that's what's kind of going on in Gotham right now is Gotham itself is is struggling to figure out who it wants to be moving forward. Uh, is it going to stay stuck in the mud with Don Mitchell or will it go into a new progressive space with Bella Rael? Um, and of course she, you know, she, she mentions that there's a mass vigilante running the streets. So that also establishes this, like there's this exposition that Batman's been busy at work, but clearly she doesn't have a, clearly isn't very fond of him. And it, I doubt Mayor Mitchell is either. Well, you know, it's it's funny to see Mayor Mitchell stare at himself, too, in the news, because it, it seems like he's almost trying to convince himself of what he's saying, mm. but he also thinks he's full of crap himself, and he knows it, um, you know, and he's sitting there just sipping on his drink, and then somebody calls uh, during that scene, too, and, he, you know, he's trying to back up, like, yeah, I'm watching it, yeah, I said that, and um, it just it, it just seems like he just doesn't really believe himself, either. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and of course the, then we get the reveal of Riddler. It is utterly terrifying. I thought, yeah. you know, and it's just so, I mean, the way that the, he steps out of frame to go, you know, refill his glass of bourbon and then the, you know, the TV lights up again and boom, the Riddler's just standing there in that creepy mask with his glasses. And it's, I mean, it's, and then the, you know, that really creepy music slowly starts in. Mm -hmm. It's terrifying. I, I don't think any Batman movie has ever had a moment that kind of frightened me like this did. Yeah, you know, I mean, Riddler himself, he's hiding in the shadows, he's hiding in that darkness, and his outfit too is just, it's so dark and creepy looking. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and what always struck me, and I, the first time I noticed this was um, the second time I saw it in theaters, and of course a movie theater has great sound system as opposed to usually home theaters when he turns off the tv and hangs up the phone it's very quiet for a moment but you can hear this clock ticking you know it's like this grand clock ticking and i just always found that very interesting again just the the subtlety of a sound like that like your time is running mm -hmm. out and that's when riddler pounces right and there's such a ferocity to it just this this brutality with which he just utterly destroys his head and, and honestly amy i appreciate that the movie didn't go like the r-rated route like we didn't need to see him getting his brains bashed out to understand no. the terror of this moment right and i think i think i really respect the restraint of like let's let's keep this movie pg-13 like, like let's make this movie as accessible as possible without having to like this scene is brutal without being gross you know what i mean yeah i mean and you can hear the rage in the riddler too as he's making yeah. his attack um, and the one, one thing that's just, you know, makes it even more eerie to me, think, um, whenever I watch thrillers or anything like that, the ones that actually scare me are the ones that could be realistic. Um, and you see this guy who's using just very basic tools that he could have bought at a hardware mm -hmm. store. You know, he, he's using, um, a carpet tool, duct tape, and even his outfit is something that's just very simple that um, you could buy at any of the local stores too. And it's just, it just makes it all even that more eerie to me. Yeah, that's true. Cause it, yeah, he made it himself and anybody could make this and we'll see towards the end of the film that anybody can. <laughs> um, Spoiler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and the way he kind of just mounts Mitchell's body too. And he, you know, like this, like, this weird exhalation that he makes. There's something like weirdly sexual to it. Um, and in, in its intimacy, right? Like he is, he is mounting this body that he is now, he has dominated. He's in control of it. Um, and I mean, there, it's just like, it's just this really weird sensation of, I think for, for Riddler, this is the first kill he's ever going to make. And it's, the, it's, I don't know, there's almost like this weird satisfaction for him in it, you know? Yeah, I mean, 
he he has this mask on and he's putting on this costume and it seems like it can make him his full alpha animalistic self that he can't be when he's not in this costume so it's, it's his moment of freeing himself into who he believes he really is yeah yep well and then just the the perfection of the sound design is he rips the duct tape and the thunder clap goes and then we go to black and then the real, like, then the music really hits. And Michael Giacchino's score, for, I mean, I have listened to this. It was, all of that score was my, the top of my list for my Spotify rap this past year. Like, it was basically every song from the Batman score. Uh, I was in, like, the top 0.005% of, like, listeners for the, the Batman score on Spotify this past year. I listened to that music all the time, and I still do. Uh, this music just kind of sets in and and I love that opening shot of what looks like we're looking through the Batman's cowl. We get these kind of two slits in the darkness and then they light up as we learn that it's the, you know, the floodlights um, that, that's going to be the bat signal. It's, it, it just like, it just, it rocks. The music is so good in this moment. I just, I, the, every time I saw it in theaters, I was literally just like rocking in my chair. Cause I'm like, yes, let's go. Like this movie is setting in now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, everything about it, too, you know, he's going through his first dialogue when we're meeting him, um, and just the, like you said, the sound of the music playing with it is just building something up, too, and you're seeing all these different crimes being committed across this city on a night of, you know, a, a childlike night where people are going around trick-or-treating, too, so it's, you know, you got your your fun playfulness, but you also got this serious thing happening in Gotham. Um, people are spray painting and, and people are robbing people and people are attacking people. Um, and even, you know, you see people watching videos of people attacking people. Um, but when this bat signal goes up, um, and he says, you know, they, uh, they think I'm hiding in the shadows, but I am the shadows. And each of these different people are approaching a different area of a shadow, um, whether it be a shadowed alley um, or just seeing the signal up in the sky, which is its own shadow. You just see this fear come over anybody who just did something wrong or even thinking, like, did I do something wrong? Is this signal because of me? Yeah, what a great point. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Amy. He's He is this, uh, these opening shots of, of, as he's doing this opening monologue, I have never felt in any other Batman movie that, the criminals of the common criminal of the street is terrified of him is actively afraid of him. Um, and the one, the one that really sells me on that is the, the particular person that rips off the convenience store wearing a drop head mask. Oh yeah. And like when he comes out and he's staring into that black alleyway, the first time I saw this movie, it just immediately what I, it took me to, took me to was like when I was a little kid and I was afraid of uh, the potential, like, monster under my bed or in my closet like i just had that mm. just kind of that almost animalistic base fear and it's like that's that's the kind of fear batman is eliciting across the city um also a quick side note that i just love is the name of the convenience store is called good time um and that is matt reeves honoring a movie Robert Pattinson was in a few years prior called good time and that was the movie when matt reeves was watching it he's like that's who I want to be my Batman. That movie oh, made so him cool. decide that his Batman had to be Robert Pattinson. So I'm embarrassed to say I still haven't watched it. I actually think, I think I'm going <laughs> to actually do that tonight, finally. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so the name of the convenience store is is in honor of the movie that Robert Pattinson was in that, that turned Matt Reeves' head. Oh, um, that's so cool. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, like, it's just these criminals genuinely feel terror. Like I feel their terror. Um, and I think the closest we've, We've gotten to that in previous incarnations of Batman movies is at the beginning of Dark Knight when somebody's like doing a drug deal from their car and then they see the bat signal. The guy's like, no, 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 wait, not tonight. Um, like you, it, I mean, there's enough there to tell you like, oh, the, people are afraid. People are, they've taken notice of Batman running around the streets. But this particular way of showing it and telling it is like, no, 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 they're terrified of him. Yeah, and I mean- the Batman even says fear is a tool. And, you know, I talk about these simplistic tools that Riddler had. Mm. I mean, fear itself is such a such a powerful tool. And just seeing a signal or seeing a shadow is, is all it takes. And, you know, he, he's this is we're seeing a younger version of Batman still. So seeing this so early on, it's just 
you know, he has that power already behind him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and during this opening monologue, uh, two, two other things I just want to point out real quick. Cause I mean, I love when we get the, the full shot of Gordon standing on the roof of that building next to the, to the bat mm-hmm. signal. It, it just something about it, the way, uh, Gordon is standing there looking to the sky at this signal, you know, this, this light being thrown up into the darkness. Gordon to me represents kind of this character who's putting his faith in something beyond just the Gotham PD, something beyond the systems that are already established. Like he is this, and I know I'm going to probably talk about this a lot as we talk about Gordon throughout the movie, but that's my favorite thing about this incarnation of Jim Gordon is he's a character who's, who has like this tr- this profound faith in what Batman is doing, um, even as Batman's figuring out what he's doing, uh, and so I, I just I love that shot of him standing there. It just it, it just makes me think of like if you walk into a church or something, and you see somebody lighting a prayer candle and kneeling down, right? Kind of with this this expectant hope and faith. Like that's what Gordon to me represents in that in that simple shot of him just standing there by the signal. Yeah. I mean, more, more playful of it too. It always makes me think of like, uh, he's standing there and he's sending a signal, like we're best buds. Like here, here's, <laughs> and, uh, you know, like when you're trying to a situation or something, you have a signal with your best friend, just like, that's what, that's what he has going on over there. I love that too. I mean, it's, it, it can be both of those things, right? It can be both. And, um, and, uh, and also just want to recognize how awesome that little shot is of, Bruce putting on the eye makeup and we get Mm -hmm. the shot of, you know, the suit is laying next to him. There's, there's just something so ritualistic about it. Like he is entering into that role. He is, he is becoming the Batman. He's putting this, he's putting on his, what he probably considers to be his true face. And there's just something so ritualistic about it. And I love it. And I also love that that was something that they decided to put in the movie because when they were doing a screen test of, of Rob, um, putting the eye makeup on they had the lighting like that and they were actually playing the score because michael giacchino wrote the the two main themes for the movie even before they were shooting um so they were blasting that on set as rob was putting on the makeup and matt reeves was just like we have to put this in the movie <laughs> <laughs> so like, i just think that's so cool yeah i mean i mean my favorite part of that scene too is you know he's he's just like splotching the paint on his face going into the darkness himself and yeah. it's also looking into this distorted dirty mirror it's not just like you know it's not like standing in front of a mirror making sure your makeup's all ready to go and then you can put the mask on and be good he's just it's just the, just this distorted image of him it's almost like he's never seen himself as bruce before yeah that's a good point um yeah and and and, and i think also what this gives me a connection to is is is, is think about any sort of warrior culture right um, thinking about like a lot of Native American cultures, you know, when their warriors would get ready to go into battle or something, right? You would, they would, you know, and I'm obviously like casting a massive generalization here, but a, a lot of particular communities, they would gather, you know, in, in a big ritualistic way and, and paint their faces, right? It was a way of becoming something different, something scary to, to, to go into battle with. So <laughs> Batman is putting on this scary persona. He's becoming this warrior of the night. Uh, to go continue striking fear into the hearts of criminals. Yeah, he's making himself the shadows. Yeah. Um, uh, and then and then we get to see why everybody's clearly terrified of him is because <laughs> we get to see what happens when Batman rolls up on you doing su- not such good things. And I love that, you know, we obviously get shots of a couple different crimes happening. We get, you know, we obviously get the, the stand-up of the convenience store. We get these people spray painting and destroying the Gotham bank. But then the thing that we're following the most though, is this gang. And and I love that the gang is, has this face paint on to kind of elicit a sense of, of the Joker. Um, and, and of course, Amy, right. We get this one character who's not fully part of the gang quite yet. Right. Yeah. And what I, what I find most interesting with that is that he only has half his face painted and when everybody else who has the full face paint or watching this video of them beating somebody else up, he you can tell he's not fully into it. Um, he still has some of his humanity and conscience there. And when when they get off the subway, he sees the bat signal and you can see he's a, he's a little afraid. Nobody else really pays attention to it. Yeah. Yeah. He he holds on. He has that almost like holy fear for, yeah. for the Batman. 
Well, he also he seems like he hasn't really done anything wrong like the other guys he's hanging out with have. So right. he still has that chance to be his more hum- human side. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and when he when he notices the bat signal in the sky, you hear these, you hear the two first notes of the Batman theme, but played on this like this bell or something. It almost sounds like death tolls to me. You know, like these death chimes. He looks up there, and that's what he thinks of when he thinks Batman could be out there. Is this man comes and 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 almost deals death to you. Uh, and then we get the uh, Amy the the first time I saw this movie in theaters, I couldn't. Be- I I I had goosebumps. I was like, it was it was like a religious experience. The way they shoot this with the music, the thud of his boots, where you hear it before yeah. you see him. And then he appears from the darkness. He almost seems to like take shape from the darkness. It's almost like he is the darkness incarnate and he just appears. And then his theme begins. Um, and it, and just the thudding of those boots. I mean, it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. And I mean, all the sounds awesome. of the senior genius. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, what, that first time you saw it, what was kind of your reaction to to seeing him appear like that and 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 uh, and approach this approach this group of nine people, one against nine? You know, okay, so I'll say too, when I first went to see this movie, I went in with low expectations because, you know, I mean, there there's been some really good Batman movies that have come out, and there's been some not so good Batman movies that come out, and I didn't know what to expect with this, and that scene. It just, it drew me in and I was in awe and I, I was so focused on this movie after this, this moment, the, the sounds itself between the boots and the rain and hearing the echoes in the shadows also gave me goosebumps. Um, and then just seeing him take on all those people and the sounds of the hits and hearing it all echo within the rain as well. And when somebody takes a metal pole, you hear just the, the echoing of that. It's just everything about the sounds in this. Um, and you see a kid, uh, holding the camera up trying to because he wants to film yeah. them taking down the batman right and then uh as soon as one person goes down you, you don't see that camera anymore it's just a look of fear across everybody's face yeah yep it's it is powerful um and uh another fun little uh behind the scenes thing so in the actual script when he appears like that and then you know the kind of the lead member of the gang says you know what the hell are you supposed to be in the in the script, Batman immediately says, I'm vengeance, and then proceeds to pummel him. But Robert Pattinson had had the inspiration on set where he thought it would be actually be a better idea to not respond to the question until he pummeled the guy. So that was something Rob came wow. up with on set was instead of saying I'm vengeance, he's and Rob's explanation of it was, I thought it'd be a hell of a lot scarier to basically knock him unconscious and whisper into his dreams, I'm vengeance, so that he would be terrified for the rest of his life. And it's just like, holy crap, that's dark. <laughs> that's brutal. Um, and I love, so I, I shouldn't, I mean, I don't, the thing that I kind of appreciate is like this gang just to me, like in a very just simplistic way, they just, repre- they, they represent bullies, right? Like that's what their thing is. They go around the streets of Gotham just knocking people out. And that's like, they think it's cool and funny. They're just yeah. a bunch of bullies. So Batman rolling up to just to beat the shit out of some bullies. I kind of like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but after he's, you know, beating that guy down and says, I'm vengeance is he's again, I love the camera work. Greg, Greg Frazier is the, is the cinematographer for the movie who also did uh, rogue one. Um, he did uh, the new movie Dune. Um, he, he's I mean, an incredible cinematographer. I love that wide shot of Batman rising. Like it's just his back and you just see him rising up in front of the gang and, and the horns, the horn section plays like this, like it almost like accompanies his rising and you can hear somebody in the gang say, Oh shit, it's him. Like they, it is him. Like there is this, there is this holy fear. Like the Batman is almost this, almost this like religious freak of nature, force of nature. You know I mean? Him coming out of the darkness. It's this, it's this, person who comes from the chaos of the dark to bring order um in the hindu tradition there's one of the incarnations of god is known as kali and kali is this terrifying incarnation of god that scares people scares them almost to death so that they'll they'll break free of their ignorance um and 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 evil doings batman almost kind of embodies this almost like holy 
terror. And and I, I just love that you hear somebody say, oh, shit, it's him. Like, <laughs> it's like it's they're They know they're in trouble. And as that fight progresses, um, it actually ta- it, it takes 20 seconds. The whole fight lasts about 20 seconds. Which blows my mind because it feels like it's so much longer than it that. It feels so much longer. Um, Maybe but, just because I was in trance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so the the stunt coordinator for the movie that trained Robert Pattinson, his name's uh, Robert Alonzo. Um, he's worked on a lot of big movies. He trained Tom Cruise for um, uh, the movie Jack Reacher. He, so he's done a lot of modern things. But what they wanted to be intentional about Batman's fighting style in this movie was that it would be very realistic, even more so than what Christian Bale uses. The the fighting style Christian Bale is trained in is known as the Casey fighting method, which, by the way, you'd never see that in any sort of or like actual competitive fighting styles because it would not last. It's not. I mean, yeah, sure, on the streets, it could keep you safe, but it's actually not that effective. Basically, the way Robert Alonzo trains Robert Pattinson is is to pretty much just be a boxer because um, the punches he throws are lethal and they're they're strategic. And as the fight kind of immediately sets in, you see Batman just light these people up. I mean, he just goes into it. He, he, there's, there's a calculatedness to the way he chooses to fight. Um, And it's, it's just, it's just so realistic. Uh, It's all about throwing correct types of strikes. And like you said, right, it's a very short sequence as it should be. If you're going to roll up on a group of nine people as one person, you want to make that fight go as quickly as possible. Um, And (laughs) there's one, I, I noticed this, after watching the movie several times, but one of the gang members throws a punch at Batman. And if you, at one point in the fight, you'll see him, he's in the low right-hand corner of the screen. You'll see him holding his left hand, shaking it because he probably broke his hand punching the armor. So again, the, the armor is very much a tool for Batman in this movie. Um, and, and it's very, a very realistic tool. Like, yeah, so these guys can pummel him, throw things at him. They can throw punches, but it's not going to really hurt him that much because he's encased in armor. Um, and then he uses his cape to choke a guy out. Like we've never seen Batman yeah. <laughs> use his cape as a weapon before. Uh, so like he just, there's a brutality to the way he fights. Um, and, and I know a lot of people really like the warehouse fight in Batman versus Superman. Um, and sure, it's cool. It's fun and it's exciting, but it's not even remotely realistic. Uh, no human being is picking up another human being one handed and slamming them head down. Like that's just not, it's just not realistic. And I get it. It's a comic book movie and the Zack Snyder Batman stories are very comic booky. Pattinson's fighting style is realistic. Um, and, and I, I honestly really appreciate that. I think I like a good fight in a, in a superhero or action movie that feels realistic. Um, that's what engages me. It, It feels personal. And that was something big for Rob too, is he says to me, my incarnation of what I wanted all these fights to be is when Batman goes out every night, every person he fights, he just visualizes them as the ones who murdered his parents. So that's why he's so vicious. Vengeance. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I appreciate the, the whole using his, his entire uniform in this scene too, because I mean, Batman's always known for having this like huge toolbox of gadgets around his belt and it just, it's nice to see something different from that. And it sticks with that simplicity of the outfits, right? You know, Riddler's outfit is very simplistic um, and he makes use of all these everyday tools. Batman's outfit is enough. It, um, it has the armor that can, that can st- stop bullets or metal, mm. metal poles from hitting him. But he also, um, he can use the cape like he did in this scene or he can use uh, even his bat symbol. He can take that off and use it and put it back. It's just, and he has like things wrapped around his wrist that he can use too for, you know, like little side weapons, but it's all uh, much more simplistic than what we've seen before, but way more effective and terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And worth noting, he takes some hits in the fight early on and every, almost yeah. every fight scene, he's going to actually get, he's going to, a few people will land some hits on his head. Um, And I like that because he's still new to this. Like, it's not natural for a person to go fight nine people at once. It's not natural. And even though he's a trained fighter, he's still working out the kinks. Um, and probably one of the things he'll have to learn, and I imagine maybe we'll see this a bit more in the sequel, is actually relying a bit more on his gadgets, you know, not going right into people, <laughs> a group of nine people, um, and opening up any sort of vulnerabilities. But right now, he's just kind of this brawler who just, he really, he knows how to fight, and he's just going to throw himself into it. Um, I think the, the but the way that the, then the scene ends, 
Um, you know, I mean, he, he's got a taser built into his glove, just, you know, basically <laughs> tases a guy <laughs> unconscious. <laughs> and after the brutality, again, just another quick little side note about this, the music that Giacchino uses here, the music starts to unravel. Like if you listen to the music in this moment, it's almost like things are unraveling as everything yeah. kind of falls to the ground. And then he looks over to the guy that they were, you know, the person that they were jumping off of the train. And he just looks up and says, please don't hurt me. Right. <laughs> Batman is not a hero at all at this point of the story no he puts fear into everybody whether you're somebody that did something wrong or didn't you know maybe you maybe you did something very minor even and it's just something that you know nobody would really think about as something bad but you know is he coming after you for something what did you do yeah yeah but he also um the one thing i really like about this too is that kid that has the half face painted um the, the other guys were trying to get him to be the one to throw the punch at this victim and he was hesitant and didn't want to do it. And Batman d- saved him along with the victim because now he hasn't done anything, you know, physical against an innocent person. That's a great point. Yeah. Almost inadvertently. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That's a great point. Um, well, then finally, Batman's going to respond to that. You know, his his best buddy handshake in the sky. <laughs> I like the way you put that, Amy. Um, and again, we get it. I love that shot of him following Gordon down the hallway through the mayor's mansion. Um, yeah. again, so much of this movie is, is our POV shots. Cause uh, Matt Reeves was ve- is very adamant that he wanted this. He wanted this to put us in the skin of the characters. And this shot does that as he's following him down the hall. And just the way that the, all of the cops are looking at him kind of just like WTF. Why is this guy here? Like <laughs> you're right. They all look at him like he doesn't belong. Like he's this pariah, if you will. Yeah, I mean, and you have a mix of it, too, because you don't know if the cops fear him or if they're just angry and paranoid because, you know, as it always happens through bad movies, some of the cops are dirty. Mm. Um, So does he know who's the dirty ones and who aren't? And I think you're getting that registered fear of the good ones being like, well, he's not one of us. He's he's a villain. You know, he's a vigilante. And then you have the other ones who are in fear, like, oh, crap, is he coming for me? Is he going to find out what I did? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and as he's about to go into the, you know, the loft and the study where, you know, Mayor Mitchell's body is, we get this side character, Officer Martinez, who will appear throughout the movie. And it, this is something I love is that even some of these side characters almost get their own mini arcs. And, and Martinez is one of them. When he puts that hand up and just... I, as you've pointed out several times already, Amy, like just the, the way they do sounds, there's a thud as he like puts his hand against, I mean, he's not, he's not anywhere near touching Batman's skin, but just the thud of the armor. Mm-hmm. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Amy, every time I watch that scene, I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Martinez. <laughs> like I am so jealous you of you right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I'd be putting my hands on that too. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, it, he 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 then finally like kind of steps up to to represent the the rest of the officers in the hallway just by being like you don't belong here and it's gordon it's gordon is batman's advocate in the quote legitimate world of the police department right like uh-huh. or, you know he's like let him through he's with me um you know this batman needs gordon because gordon provides some level of legitimacy for batman well, it just shows you the, the level of respect people have for Gordon, too. You know, he he's respected by this vigilante. He's respected by the other cops to bring in this vigilante to a crime scene of somebody who's of such high stature. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Martinez calls Batman a freak. <laughs> That's how he sees him. And And then as Batman is walking into the room again, we get that shot from behind. Every time I watch that, I just he he just makes me think of like a Grim Reaper or something. He moves so slow, and there's something so I don't know. It, it, he's so the the broad shoulders, the way that cape is. It's it's a mix of Darth Vader, and um, if you remember the first Ninja Turtles movie from I think like 1991, the Shredder. The Shredder always had this big cape <laughs> that somebody would come out and like move it. There's something about that cape that gives me both a Shredder and a Darth Vader vibe, like. There's something about the way Batman's being presented early in this movie that he's not a hero. Like there is something scary about him. Well, he's also he's got this uh, film noir detective vibe about him, too. He's still in his early stages of learning and he's, you know, observing the scene itself and trying to, you know, figure out the puzzle of of what happened here. Right. 
Yeah. Um, and, and the way he just is, he just slips into this detective mode. Uh, the way he's able to solve these sulfur, these ciphers and these riddles so quickly, you know, this is why, this is why Gordon brings him in is because he's just smarter than every other detective. And, and right. It, it, if you're listening to the show, it's probably because you also enjoyed the movie like we did. You probably also know that Matt Reeves was very adamant. Like the one thing I want to do with Batman in this movie that kind of has never really been done before is I want to focus on the part of his character that has always claimed that he's the greatest detective in the world. <laughs> well, we are seeing that here because you even see um, when the photographer is taking pictures of evidence the Batman's the one who finds uh, where there's some blood splatter from the carpet tool and you see them following uh, him and then look and say, oh, wow. And then look down and start taking pictures of this thing that was just totally missed by everybody else already. Right. Yeah. Um, and and I, I enjoy when Commissioner Savage shows up and is like, what the hell is that guy doing here? <laughs> um, and again, like... It, the commissioner represents what I will say, quote, the the normalcy of of society, if you will, by clearly having a disdain and a rejection of the Batman. Doesn't think he belongs, thinks he's a freak. Um, and uh, I, I forgot to look up the actor's name, but this actor was also in the in recently in Andor, the the, the new Star Wars show. And in Andor, he says the S word. He says shit. And that word has never been used in Star Wars before. Well, in movies today, PG-13 movies are allowed um, one F word and still remain PG-13. So I love that this guy gets the first ever S word in Star Wars and he gets the one F word in the Batman. He probably has it in his contract that he gets to be the first cursor of any. Yeah. Any canon. Uh, yeah. Um. And then things get real for the Batman when, you know, Gordon's kind of like, all right, it's time to go. Let's let's get out of here. And he notices this bloody footprint, a very small, bloody footprint. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it it's probably giving his own flashbacks of what happened to him as a kid, too, because of his parents dying. And, um, you know, Gordon tells him, yeah, the kid is the one who found him. And you can just see see his facial expression just change to just it looks like that little lost little boy again and not this, yeah. this vengeance intimidating character. Yeah. And it's, it, it's in this scene where we get the first plane of Nirvana's something in the way, which was a very foundational piece of music for Matt Reeves in understanding how he wanted to tell this story. Right. Cause he sees Bruce Wayne as kind of this reclusive mm -hmm. rock star like Kurt Cobain. Um, but I think more than that, he, he chooses the song something in the way because those lyrics have meaning for Batman in this movie. There's something in the way of, of his purpose, right? Like he's, this movie is very much about him figuring out what is the purpose of the Batman. Um, and cause there's something in the way of him seeing what is, what is my actual calling here? Like, I know I have to do this. Um, uh, Robert Pattinson said in uh, several interviews that his way of understanding how he wanted to embody the character was for him. Bruce, Bruce sees two options in responding to the trauma of his parents' murder. One, just accepting death and maybe it, calling it quits or becoming the Batman. Um, but yeah, now he's he's confronted with this trauma that he's clearly been ignoring mm -hmm. since he was a child when he looks at that, that young boy. Um, and I, and I love, I, again, it's just, it's beautiful acting. Um, the eye contact between this young boy and Batman, the, mm -hmm. my interpretation of this is the boy looks to him with this sense of hope, like, Oh my gosh, that's just, that's a real life superhero. He's going to figure out who did this and save us all. Like, I feel like that's what the boy looks at him with. He looks at him with this innocent hope that Batman is going to figure this out. But if you watch Batman, I mean, I think he's looking at him with like a, a level of empathy, but mostly then he just looks to the ground, watch like Rob's eyes. He just looks to the ground. And to me, my interpretation is Batman feels defeated. He, mm -hmm. you know, he became the Batman specifically to prevent this sort of fate of happening to anybody else. And he fails. So he kind of like leaves this, he leaves the mayor's mansion I feel like harboring and feeling this tremendous amount of defeat. Yeah. You know, and 
when when him and the kid make eye contact for me i feel like it's it has that little bit of hope but i feel like it's also a loss of innocence because this kid's no longer innocent he's seen death and that changes you and he then sees the batman there and he's like great there's vengeance now somebody is going to avenge my father Mm. that's a great point amy I never quite saw it that way, but I don't think you're wrong. Cause yeah, think of that. Like if you're, if you're a young person and I mean, you're also helpless in your own way, you want somebody to make them pay. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, a, I never saw it that way. I, that's, that's brilliant, Amy. I love that. Um, yeah. Well, and then, and then we get again, a really cool, like POV shot over his shoulder as he's riding his motorcycle through Gotham and yeah. continues that narration from the beginning of the movie. Um, and, and these narrations I think are just really neat because we get a lot of this in comics in general, but specifically in, in Batman year one, which of course the infamous comic by Frank Miller about the origin of Batman and Gordon and and them coming together, uh, which is, which was one of the central, uh, comic stories that inspired much of this movie. Um, so I like that, that that's kind of this homage to that, but as Batman's riding through the city he's narrating this sense of defeat too right like mm-hmm. i've been at this i've been at this for two years and things have actually gotten worse like i'm not making things better um and yet he's still committed to it because you know i have to you know maybe it's beyond saving but i have to try yeah you know it, he's just questioning himself after that moment and if he's making a difference and he he you know he says things like the city is eating itself um but he has to push himself to to get to this city that's beyond saving and make a difference. Yeah. And I, I love, um, I just love the image of that half of the city in his, uh, in his rear room mirror. And he's just watching it go way behind him as he's going uh, across the bridge to his side of the city um, where he's, you know, going to go into his version of the Batcave. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, and important to, to note that he's going to Wayne tower, which this is the first time ever in, as far as I know, in, in Batman movies on screen and probably even in comics or even the animated series, Wayne Manor always existed outside like the city limits, mm-hmm. right? It was kind of this castle outside the city, but now it's in the heart of the city. So Bruce is of this city. Uh, it, it, it makes him more incarnational in my opinion. And I really like that they move it into the city. Now, granted, it is still this fancy high tower that looks down on everybody, but at least it's among them rather than apart from them, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's probably not the way the rest of the city views him, sure. right? <laughs> but it's the way he can view it too. He can he can see everything from being up there. Yeah. Um, and and that's how this like opening twenty minutes essentially will come to a close. Is we then see all those voiceovers being handwritten into this journal, and as he closes that journal, right, he he calls it the Gotham Project um year two so again it further establishes he's in the second year of this but i love that he journals it shows that he's a reflective character he's 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 thinking deeply about what he's doing and the impact he's having and trying to make sense of what he's supposed to be doing uh so i i really love that that bruce adorably journals it's it's wonderful yeah, I love the way he phrases it too. You know, he says those nights all roll together and a rush behind the mask. Sometimes in the morning, I I have to uh I have to watch myself so that I can see to remember everything that happens. And it just you see him looking tired too and he's he's having to rewind and then play again, rewind and play again, and he's just trying to relive everything that he did behind that mask when he had his adrenaline rush. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I like the way you're phrasing that too, because it's almost like he's 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 coming down off of like a high or something, right? He's crashing, and and I like that shot of him even like as he as the motorcycle is finally parked, and he kind of like he almost like rolls up, rolls up in his seat, like he he looks half dead or half asleep, like yeah. I mean, he's exhausted. His body is just spent. Um, and yeah, he says he's forcing himself to do this now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we get a really quick look at the, the toll it's taking on him as well. Um, and that'll lead us into our next 20 minutes where we get to we get to see uh, his, of course, dear old Alfred is going to show up and have some thoughts on the toll that it's taking on on Bruce. Um, 
So yeah, is, is was there anything else here in these first 20 minutes, Amy, uh, that you feel like we may have missed? Yeah, I mean, the only other thing that uh, that I have is I just find it so interesting. You know, you can tell in just the first 20 minutes that the Riddler really models himself after the Batman, after you see the Batman. You know, he hides in the shadows as well when he's coming out to his victims. He has on this full mask um, and has this rage in him when he makes his attacks. Um, but even throughout the first 20 minutes, um, even, even Batman, he call he doesn't call himself Batman. Nobody calls him Batman, but the Riddler, he says, I'm a nocturnal animal. I am vengeance. I am the shadows and other people will call him freak or him, but nobody says Batman until he gets that letter from Riddler that says to the Batman. What a great point. And, and that makes sense because when we'll get to that point later on in the movie, where he obviously has his his one on one meeting with with Riddler and Arkham. Yeah, Riddler <laughs> is the only one who kind of actually sees him as a hero, right? Mm-hmm. He's the one who idolizes him as well. I would argue Gordon does as well. Um, Gordon I think also Gordon respects him. Uh, yeah, and well, I think Gordon also sees the potential of what he can offer. Yeah. Um, and and is faithful to Batman trying to figure that out. Um, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So, and yeah, go ahead. No, um, I just, you know, I just, I just love when we're hitting the end of that too. And it's just, it's all low tech in the back cave of him watching the videos and it's playing back. And, you know, I think there was like a, one of the sepia colored screens and then the black and white version and then a little bit of distorted color. So it's just all still more of this noir envision of everything. Yeah. Good point. Um, well, I think that's I think that's going to do it for this this first episode, Amy. Um, and my goodness, I, I love the way this movie opens. That was, that was so fun to talk about. But I'm already I can't wait to uh, next week. We're finally going to get to meet the cat. Yes, which you know, I mean, we both are very looking forward to that moment. I feel like we might have too much to say, <laughs> or we both just might sit here in awe the whole time. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Uh, well, thank you again, everyone, for for joining us for this first ever episode of the Bat and the Cat podcast. This was episode one, Reigning Vengeance. Uh, we look forward to seeing you again um, next week with the Bat and Cat podcast. And if you'd like to interact with us on social media, we are on Instagram and the Twitter at Bat Cat Podcast. So be sure to follow us and uh, join in on sharing the love for for the Batman. Um, So on behalf of Amy, I'm Carl, and we will see you next time here in the Bat and the Cat Podcast.